baffling and pointless movies I've ever seen, I think. Uh, the movie felt like they had taken a lot of really successful uh, action movies and uh, kind of taken out parts of other movies and, and slid them in. And the result was a very long, very polished movie that uh, was kind of tough to figure out what, not what is going on, but why in the world is any of this stuff happening? Uh, the movie was made in 2005. It has a 39% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, the movie was called Kingdom of Heaven. Some of you may remember it. You may, uh, may have seen it. Uh, you may have spent the hours of your life on it and wonder, oh, you might have loved it. You might have thought this is the best thing ever. I don't want to take that away from you. Uh, but the movie was supposedly a retelling of a historical period of time retelling the Battle of Jerusalem when the Christian knights lose the city uh, to the Turks. This is a following, I believe, the Second Crusade. Uh, and in the movie, uh, Orlando Bloom, who is about uh, three parts uh, Will Turner from uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, he's a blacksmith, again, uh, a little bit of... Uh, Legolas mixed in and a good I think helping of he gets to be Aragorn this time uh, he's a blacksmith he learns to fight from a guy who turns out to be his father uh, uh, who is part Qui-Gon and part um, Batman's tutor race Al Gould um, if you've seen the movies rewatch it and see if I'm wrong uh, and after a few uh, lessons in swordplay, he goes off and becomes not only a master swordsman, but a military genius, uh, and ends up fighting over Jerusalem in a siege that reminded me very much of the scene of Helm's Deep when uh, the orcs come to Helm's Deep and men and orc fight. And the real problem of this movie was that, uh, unlike uh, the two towers, the enemy they were fighting wasn't really particularly bad. In fact, they were very civil, they were very kind, honorable, uh, possibly a bit more honorable than our heroes. And as a movie, that left me wondering, why am I supposed to care about them getting defeated by these really nice guys when the heroes aren't really doing much for me. Uh, Saladin uh, was a wise and careful man. The city of Jerusalem, a paradise uh, that, if we're honest, was not history. In history, it wasn't that bad, but was nowhere near that nice. Uh, and there was just too little reason to care. And to make matters worse, Jerusalem falls the hero loses. Uh, he actually goes back to his house that he burned down when he left, and amazingly, it's still standing. Uh, and when Jerusalem surrenders, 
the people are overjoyed to the point of jubilation that they're not going to be killed, they're just defeated. Uh, which is good news, admittedly, but uh, it really is one of the more exuberant moments in movies. And uh, if you want to know why I kept watching, uh, it was a cold day in, uh, in somewhere other than Hawaii where I had a blanket on me and it was just nice and warm and uh, it was a nice place to lie down. And uh, the movie itself was fun. I did enjoy parts of it, but overall, the end, it was sort of like, what was the point of all of that? Well, today we look at another battle for Jerusalem, and you might have felt a little bit that way in the reading of Zechariah 14. Uh, this is not one of those texts that all Christians uh, know, like John 3.16, that talks about God loving the world and sending Jesus. Uh, this is one of those that uh, many Christians probably never read. Uh, and those of us who do may wonder, what is going on? Uh, the prophets of the Old Testament are not easy, and Zechariah is particularly dense and foreign, and uh, in verse 6, there's actually a line, on that day there shall be no, and then after that point, we're not really sure how to translate it. Uh, no light, cold, or frost is one translation, and I think it's probably right, an alternate translation or alternate reading is, and on that day, uh, the precious things will be dense. Uh, and when you read commentaries on this, there's a lot of words that result to, we know that something is said here, but we're not 100% sure what to say. Uh, what we do now know that I'll be talking about later, this is a different kind of day. God is doing something really different and amazing. So why preach a text like this? Uh, one, uh, I love spending time in the Old Testament, and I really love uh, teaching on the Old Testament and helping us to understand what God is doing. The other reason is that you might have picked up on the link, or if you paid attention to what the title of the sermon is, there's a link on the Mount of Olives. And there's more than just a casual link, I would say, that this actually is in the mind of Mark, and very likely, very, very likely in the mind of Jesus as he rides in to town. Uh, you might have also noticed uh, in our call to worship, there's mention in the book of Zechariah 9, verse 9, of, uh, of the king riding on a donkey. And so you start putting these things together, and you see there is a connection between uh, Zechariah and the triumphal entry and the rest of what Jesus is doing. Backing us up a little bit, what is Zechariah doing? Zechariah is a prophet. Uh, the prophets in the Old Testament uh, sometimes did uh, tell the future, but that wasn't their main role. Uh, it's not like in the Greeks where you get an oracle and the main job is just, we're telling what's going to happen. And we're going to make it so confusing that no one knows what's really going to happen until uh, it does happen and then go, oh, he got it right. Uh, there is some prediction, but the main role of the prophets is really pretty close to a prosecuting attorney. Uh, that is... The prophets were sent by God 
to the people of Israel uh, with the message that you guys need to get your act together. You need to repent because the pathway that you're taking is going to result in judgment. Now, secondarily, these prophets had a message that, yes, there's going to be judgment, but we're also going to give little hints about this guy who's going to come, and things are going to be awesome. And in the day of Israel, it wouldn't have been totally clear what was going on, but they would read this, and they would say, things are not always going to be bad. Now, Zechariah himself is actually ministering to Israel in a time when things are getting a bit better. Things aren't easy, but they have come back home. Uh, If you go back, the ten tribes, the northern tribes, were carried off by Assyria in 722, a couple hundred years after David and Solomon in the glory days. Then the tribe of Judah spent 70 years in exile in Babylon, and they came out of it pretty much cured of the problem of worshiping idols. And they come home, and they come back to Jerusalem, and they start rebuilding. But in Zechariah's day, what you have is two things. One is things are better, but two, there's a bit of a faded glory aspect to this. Maybe you've been to one of those nice restaurants and On the wall, they've got a picture, and you see Frank Sinatra there. And one of the claims to fame about this great restaurant is Frank Sinatra ate here. And you look around and you say, I don't think a thing has changed since Frank Sinatra's day. I do believe that I'm walking on the same carpet that Frank Sinatra walked on. I think I'm using the same tarnished silverware that Frank Sinatra must have used. And... uh, I don't think they've changed a thing on the menu either. Uh, Well, it's a little bit like that. In Zechariah's day, things are getting rebuilt, but when the temple's rebuilt, half the people are throwing up their arms saying, this is wonderful, and then the older people are weeping because Israel has moved from a beachfront palace to a small apartment in the suburbs, and... Things are just not like they once were. And Judah is home. But the glory days of David and Solomon, when Israel was a power to be reckoned with, when gold was plentiful and the people were, uh, were blessed, it's not quite there. And Zechariah comes in, and one of his roles is to get Israel kind of back on their feet. And he was, as a prophet, given a message. And the message we see before, admittedly, is kind of a strange message. Uh, It's not often that you start a passage uh, in church with God saying that the nations are going to come and beat up on Jerusalem and that there's going to be rape and plunder. And uh, you kind of take a step back and go, whoa, this this is not light. This is rough. And there are a couple things going on here. One is, for Israel, things are going to get bad. And if you know your history, uh, Zechariah is about 520 B.C. A few more hundred years go by. Alexander the Great comes. 
the generals of Alexander end up splitting the kingdom. And there's a guy named Antiochus Epiphanes IV who defiles Jerusalem, defiles the temple. If you want to read more about this, you don't have to remember Antiochus IV Epiphanes. Uh, Google Hanukkah, and Hanukkah is actually the celebration of the restoration of the temple uh, by Judas Maccabeus. Um, and you can read more about that. But the Jews do go through a lot. And one of the messages of, or the, the lessons of the prophets is, look, if they get the rough stuff right, hey, this stuff happened. Uh, it happened like they said it would. Turns out they have more to say. Not only will the world be a rough and broken place, not only will Israel go through some really excruciating uh, suffering. But you get verse 3 of our text, our first one, Zechariah 14. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as when he fights on the day of battle. It's easy to get bogged down in, in a text like this and try to pick apart all the pieces and try to make sense of absolutely everything. Um, we could spend quite a lot of time going over the details. I'm going to give more of a survey of what's going on. When you look at the imagery, God comes down. That's either a good thing or a bad thing. But when God comes down and he's going to fight on your side, it is a good thing. God came down before when the Israelites came out of Egypt. God parted the Red Sea. He delivered his people. There's a little bit of that imagery of a parting, this time not of the Red Sea, but of a mountain. Uh, it's a little bit odd uh, to our ears. But here's the image. God stands on the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives is pulled apart. And the people run through his legs to safety. Now, if there's any place that's more safe uh, it's with God standing over you, looking down on anyone who's going to come after you, ready to strike them with his power. Verse 4, the Mount of Olives is split. Verse 5, you shall flee. They're going to they're gonna get away. They're going to get away safe. And then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. And then again, the text starts getting dense again. Uh, one of the other things that's helpful to know about the Old Testament is that there's this idea of the day of the Lord. And when you read through the prophets, they're always talking about the day of the Lord. On the day of the Lord, this will happen. On the day of the Lord, this will happen. On the day of the Lord, that will happen. And very often... Uh, it's apocalyptic, uh, apocalyptic imagery. It's shaking of the heavens and the earth and stuff going on with the sun and the moon and the stars. And, uh, and however you uh, translate chapter 6, uh, this is a unique day. This is a special day. And there's going to be light at evening. Uh, there's not going to be day or night. Uh, and that can get 
really confusing. But the Old Testament prophets treat the day of the Lord like one single event. Uh, As we've looked back from our perspective, this side of the cross, this side of the resurrection, we look backwards and we see that the day of the Lord is stretched out. And you get statements in the New Testament uh, that for the Lord, a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. When you talk about God and time, all bets are off because God isn't bound to time. We are. We're stuck moving forward and at a fixed rate. Uh, for God, he can turn it sideways. Uh, and so we look at the day of the Lord as this single event, and you turn the perspective a little, and we see that the day of the Lord includes prophecy about Jesus' birth, his life, him riding on a donkey him coming to Jerusalem, about his death, his resurrection, the sending of the Holy Spirit on the church when young men will dream dreams and people will speak in other languages and the gospel will go forth and people will be saved. And the second coming of Jesus, when Jesus returns as he came, coming down out of heaven physically in a glorified body to make all things new. And so when you look at this text, there's a little bit of a sense in which Zechariah is hitting not every single thing that I've mentioned, but a lot of them. And he's talking about a time when God will make all things right. And brothers and sisters, that, in a powerful way, starts with the first coming of Jesus, especially with his death and resurrection that we're celebrating now, where Jesus conquers sin. And what do we see in the other text? Verse 1, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and to Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Where was God going to stand? On the Mount of Olives. And Jesus sends for a colt. And he fulfills prophecy as he rides into Jerusalem. Everybody around, including the disciples, possibly even Judas Iscariot, who was going to betray Jesus, possibly because Judas was so disappointed, thought Jesus was coming to make All of this stuff happened right now. God's going to save Israel decisively. The Romans are going to get kicked out. We're going to go back to having a son of David on the throne. Money's going to start pouring back into Jerusalem, and there will be peace in the world through an earthly kingdom of Israel. It's not how it happened. Jesus rides in. And he does stand on the Mount of Olives. And when he's crucified, there is a time when the sun is blocked out. 
There will be a unique day, verse 7 of Zechariah 14, which is known to the Lord neither day nor night. It's possible that that's a, a reference to the eclipse or whatever it was that was going on when Jesus was on the cross and things went dark. Now Jesus also, in talking to his disciples, talks about the last days and part of the time he's talking about the downfall of Jerusalem to the Romans and then biblical scholars debate about when he switches but at some point he's not talking about the Romans coming and sacking Jerusalem anymore. He's talking about the end of time when he's going to come back. Jesus riding in Jerusalem is hailed as king. And that is the right thing to say to Jesus. It is absolutely appropriate, even though everybody missed the point, or at least had their timing wrong. Jesus comes into Jerusalem as king, but he doesn't come to take possession. He comes to fight the decisive battle. This is the splitting of the Mount of Olives when the people get to run through because Jesus has stood on the Mount of Olives and because he had willingly gone to the cross for you and for me and for all people who call on his name. Zechariah 14 is a a dense text and if you try to figure out all the details, it's tough. But the central message is God is going to save his people. And a big part of that has already been accomplished. Sin has been paid for. Death has been conquered. Theologians talk about the already not yet. Pastor Nathaniel's mentioned that before. Uh, One analogy used is that Good Friday and Easter is like D-Day. Normandy has been taken. The war is going to end. That didn't mean that the fighting stopped, but there was an inevitability. The second coming of Jesus is like V-Day. No more fighting. Peace has come. We're stuck in the middle. We are both heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, and we are messy, broken, sometimes sniveling, sometimes wretched, sometimes pathetic people who struggle with the same sins over and over, who forget that God loves us, who go into depression, who are assaulted by Satan, and the brokenness of the world, so that even when we are doing well, things around us may not, and we may get beaten down. What do we do with a text like this? One message is, Jesus has come to Jerusalem. Jesus has died for you. Jesus has risen. The Mount of Olives has been split. We are fleeing to safety. That doesn't mean that if you're a Christian or if you become a Christian, that your life is going to be one slice of apple pie after another. 
the world is hard. But the first message of our texts is that salvation is found in the Lord. It is God who rescues. I mentioned faded glory. Judah, as a nation at this point, was a mess. They could not save themselves. Their enemies around them, who didn't want to see them rise up again, were making life difficult. And there wasn't quite the joy that, that some expected. And then, over hundreds of years, things get worse before they get better. But God fights for his people. He alone has the power to save, and he has offered you salvation. He will save you, not from the difficulties of this life, but from defeat and from death and destruction. And if we put our trust in God, we can know that he stands over us. That he came because he loved us. That Jesus rode into Jerusalem looking death in the eye because he cares about you. He cares about the world. He cares about his people. The second message is related, that God is not finished. When we read the text before us, we don't see that Okay, we get to verse, uh, verse 11, and we can clearly point to everything in Zechariah that's already happened. Verse 9 has not happened yet. God is not yet fully king over all the, the earth. I'm not saying he's not in control, but he hasn't reigned things in yet. He hasn't brought Satan to judgment. He hasn't... Uh, closed the door and said, things are finished. Second Peter talks about God uh, not wanting any, uh, or wanting everyone to be saved, and so he is patient. Some people in Peter's day were saying, this isn't really going to happen. There's no judgment. There's no second coming. And Peter says, with the Lord, a thousand years is like a day, and a day is like a thousand years. God is coming. And one of the messages of our text is we're not finished, that we find ourselves in the middle between D-Day and V-Day, and we're still fighting, but God is fighting for us. And no matter what you're going through, and I know many of you are going through difficult things, and I know there are many difficult things out there that I don't know about. And we are tempted to think that God has left us. We are tempted to think that this is all there is. We are tempted to think, yeah, I believe in the God of the Bible, but he doesn't really care about me. Beloved of God, he does care, and he is at work. As one of my friends used to say, God is not in a hurry. Now, one of the other great things about the coming of Jesus is that Zechariah 14 gets brought not just to the Israelites, not just to the Jews, but to all people. 
Jesus makes it possible that everyone can be saved. Romans 10, 9 to 13. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is the Lord of all and and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you are someone who does not know Jesus, who has not uh, prayed a prayer of belief and confession, this is an invitation. This is the word of God declaring to you that this is for you, that it is free, that we don't have to get all things together, that we don't have to clean up our life first, that God loves you already, and Jesus died to take care of all the ugliness, all the sin, all that makes us unworthy. And if you are someone who is a Christian, and you are caught in battle, feeling weary, feeling like this is never going to end, feeling defeated, you are not defeated. may not look that way. Christ has conquered death and hell. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Let's pray.